0: I don't know about you, Baza, but uh, have you managed to recover yet? Here we are talking just about 24 hours after what was one of the most amazing conclusions to a Wimbledon Championships that I think we've ever seen with Djokovic beating Federer in that remarkable five-set tie-break finishing final. Um, And that on top of everything else. And there was, oh, a Cricket World Cup match going on at the same time. I mean, it's crazy, wasn't it? Well, it was crazy because... Uh, sport
1: nuts, I think, had to go through the turmoil at the same time, didn't they? Because the Cricket World Cup was coming to finale at the same time as the, the Wimbledon final, uh, the men's Wimbledon final was coming to finale. And it, it was an extraordinary match. Uh, Federer played wonderful tennis. Djokovic was incredible. I think what, what we saw from Novak is is everything that makes him an extraordinary champion, that his temperament, his keep his composure. He is never finished, Barry, is he? And we've seen him over and over again. And, you know, mine goes back to those, those matches that he had, that match he had against Federer at the US Open when Federer had two match points, 40-50. He is never, ever beaten. Uh, and then also what he does, and I think the, the sort of numbers, uh, the, the, all the categories that Federer, Federer won except the unforced errors, and actually there wasn't too much to be cho- choose between the two of them. But what Djokovic does with his movement and just his incredible temperament, he squeezes the court, doesn't he? So he forces you. To win the point, you, you have to go close to the lines. And when the pressure is really on in tie breaks, that becomes a lot harder. And I think that the key, actually the key stat for me was in the three tie breaks, Djokovic did not hit one unforced error.
0: That's amazing. I mean, but they obviously were the the linchpins for him to, to win this fifth title. And yet he was down, what, 5-3 at one point in that first set tie break. And you're mm. thinking, well, Federer has now got him just where he wants him. He'll push through, win this tie break and then go on from there. Everybody had been talking about the need for Federer to win that first set. Uh, more important for him to do that the longer it went physically, and yet you could say two things about that. Well, firstly, he didn't manage to win it and yet came back to force a, you know, a decider. And then he looked as fit as a fiddle still after four hours and 57 minutes of the most amazing you know, competition, as you say, against somebody who just does not know the meaning of the word giving mm-hmm. up. That's two words, but you know what I mean? Yeah, it, it just his persistence, his perseverance. And also for me, the absolute key for him in the final for Djokovic was his sense of calm and mm-hmm. not allowing the emotions either to, to spill over to his own detriment or, indeed, to make it a very personal clash between him and the crowd, who were hugely in favour of Federer.
1: Yeah, and, and again, it's not, this is not anti-Djokovic. You know, I, I mean, a few people have said to me, well, it's because people don't like him. No, no, no. It's, they are pro-Federer. You know, yep. Federer, Federer has been eight-time Women champion. He's the one who came on the scene the first out of the three. So it's not an anti-Djokovic. It's just their allegiances towards Federer. But I think Novak has been able to learn from it in the past, hasn't he? That US Open, the last time they played in the final, when it was you know, arguably 23,990 people pro-Federer and only about 10 pro-Djokovic. Um, but he, he's able, as you said, Barry, able to sort of channel it, um, focus... Because what you can 't do is you can 't let your emotions get the better of you, because if you do, then you 'll just be a spent force um but yeah, I mean, just hats off to to both the way at they, the end. They competed for for you know three minutes shy of the five hour mark
0: incredible theater incredible conclusion, and to have all the matches you know to have the very first singles match decided with a, a fifth set tie break at Wimbledon after twelve games please, happened to be the final i mean you could not really have scripted it. Any better than that? Djokovic's reaction at the end. Now that obviously <laughs> drew different opinions. Uh, what was yours about that? I think two two factors actually. The first,
1: or lack of reaction, I wasn't surprised. I think when you have had to dig deep and you go through it, almost understandable that the match was over and it was there was nothing there. But then when he sort of stood on the court after he after he chewed on the grass and he sort of puffed out his chest, uh, not sure I was 100% with it. But listen, I would never criticise people for reactions because I've never been in that position, Barry. You've never been in that position. Um, you know, that the guy has defended his Wimbledon title. He's closed the gap. And I mean, it was just, I mean, in the context of the Grand Slam titles, it was huge, wasn't it? It's, you know, arguably it's a game changer because it was worth two, it was worth two slams. You know, Federer had won, he would have gone six ahead of Djokovic. Now with Djokovic winning, he closes the, closes the gap to four. So, you know, these three, I mean, why are they still playing? They're still playing because they love the sport. But they're also still playing because they ultimately want to be the most successful. And, and I think for, for Novak, you know, I, can kind of, I, I can kind of get his, the reactions that, that were coming from his end of the court yeah. because of how, how important that match was.
0: And I also feel, Baz, personally, I viewed it slightly differently. I felt that because he was so calm, as I've said at the start, and needed to be, And it clearly was such a a pro Federer crowd because, yeah, that's just the way it was there, that he he, in not wanting to to get them to sort of react, overly react against him. He kept his calm, but also that the normal celebration that we've seen from him now for some years with this whole waving of the arms to all four sides after winning a match, it just would have been totally contrary to what he was getting from the crowd, which was Mm -hmm. not a lot in his favour. And and why should he, as it were, show the love to them? Because I remember at the end of the fourth set, I mean, the chanting that was going on for Roger's name, you know, after he had taken them into the decider was was just so loud, so noisy. And to me, that said, well, okay, I I accept what he's doing at the end of this match by just standing there. And he's made his point. Mm. He was the one who came out on top. And to me. That was, you know, that was enough, and I felt that the the respect obviously shown between them at the end in their their respective interviews with Sue Barker w- was was fitting of the occasion, and uh, and I mean it was as Roger said, it was just a crazy match, mm. really, that it, it got to the extent it did, but those championship points, I mean, they will haunt him, I would imagine. He said, you know, jokingly, I want to forget about it. <laughs> But, um, it as you said, it's not the first time this has happened. In fact, there's two semifinals, 2010 and 2011, in New York. But for this to actually happen in the Wimbledon Championship match, mm. that, that, that's going to take a bit of getting over, isn't it? Yeah. I mean,
1: look, having watched the match points again today, 40-15, Djokovic it's second serve, Djokovic hit a classic Djokovic return, and Federer's feet got a little stuck. So he's pushed the forehand wide. And then the second match point at 40-30, he hit an inside in forehand. And the dangers of hitting the inside in forehand to Djokovic's forehand was met... I mean there were two crucial factors. It was firstly, and totally understandable, he didn't want to he didn't want to push it too close to the lines.
0: No.
1: But what that meant was that actually Djokovic didn't have to move too much to the to his right because he's already shifting in that position. And, and he had the angle to play with. Uh, and the 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 Petter shot, the 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 percentage play would have been for Roger to go inside out into the back end. But, hey, I, I mean, you can't start criticising and questioning a player of making a bad decision here or there, um, which actually was also the case at 5-3 in that first set tie break. I mean, I always felt, I mean, I know Roger had the two match points, but I always felt the first set would be the key. And, and it was also uh, sort of a tactical error at five, three in the first set tie break. But I think overall that was one of Roger's greatest matches. I mean, to if, if he had actually won that match, I mean, I, I was commentating on that. And I, and I said during the fifth, if Roger wins this, this is his greatest ever victory because mm-hmm. of who he was facing, the situation of the match. And, just just having, you know, uh, we also mentioned that the last eight women and finals, last eight women and finals, the player who'd won the fourth lost yep. the fifth. And, and I am very much now, this, this trend in the men's game, in big matches, it's not necessarily first or second round of a major, but in really big matches, to chase, it takes so much out of you emotionally and physically to play catch-up that then you have the dip. And so for Federer to come back from 40 down in the fifth and then be in a position where he, he, had, he had basically his ninth Wimbledon title on his racket was extraordinary. But also, you know, maybe, maybe he would have won that title against anyone else but Djokovic. I mean,
0: what Incredible. a ferocious competitor he is. He is, I think, somebody we've never quite seen like that, and yet we have Nadal there. And, of course, Mm. the matches that Nadal played in the week leading up to facing Roger, and then for Roger to beat him, okay, on grass, but still to beat him, having lost the last time they played that that match 11 years ago in the 2008 final, uh, was uh, just a, a tour de force from Roger to come through that in four sets, as he did on Friday. But, of course, we know the record shows he has never... Yet managed to beat both of them in mm. the same major in five sets, and uh, that that is something obviously to have come within a point of it twice. Uh, that might haunt him. But I think you're right in terms of the race. You know, now for the the most slams, Djokovic up to 16, so just two adrift of Rafa, and only four adrift of Roger. And with five years in age difference on his side, surely now that sets him up to believe that that he can surpass both of them.
1: That's what it's looking like, isn't it? Because, you know, again, if we look at the match, I mean, I mean, let's forget the age. I don't want to get caught up in the age. But Djokovic is moving still incredibly well, and he still looks very fresh mentally. And, and what was apparent, not the... I don't think we needed confirmation, but what was apparent again is how far the top three are ahead of the rest. So... It doesn't look like it's going to change any soon, Barry, does it? I mean, you, you know, we're we're looking at the moment, unless something miraculous happens overnight, that these three are going to be locked in for the next four majors, at least. Um, so, you know, which one of those four, the next, the next four majors, who's in the best position to win? You know, Djokovic is in, going to be in contention to win, potentially, all four of them. So, you know, the, the next... Next two or three years, just wins one or two a year. Um, I mean, obviously, it's never as simple as that. But uh, right now, I think he he would be my favourite at the end of the, the end of their three careers to be to have the most major titles.
0: It was great to see Rafa performing brilliantly. I mean, I think most people felt of the three of them prior to the semi-finals, he had arguably played the best tennis uh, during the championships and. Yet obviously, despite being tennis gods, they are human. They have days when it doesn't quite work. And against Fedra, as he said, you know, his backhand wasn't really where he wanted it, and that kind of then had a knock on effect to getting to his forehand in the way that he usually tries to do. So for him that was obviously a disappointment. But going forward in this terms of this race between the three of them for these major titles, of course, they've now going to be stepping back after a bit of a break onto the hard courts in in North America and then, uh, you know, through into Europe and the indoor season. And, of course, that in the second half of the year is not easy for Nadal, is it? I mean, at least he's come out of Wimbledon looking very fit, which is not always the case.
1: Yeah, and and what he's also showed is he doesn't have to play. You know, I, I think for Rafa, what's more important at New York is that he goes into Flushing Meadows, lack of matches, but fresh, as opposed to playing an event and feeling he's got matches and then maybe physically he's not 100%. Because he's shown in Australia, no tennis can make the final. He's shown here at Wimbledon, no tennis on the grass. I know it was a quick turnaround after the French, but to play as well as he did in the second round against Kyrgios a decade ago, he would have lost. You know, it was always felt, well, the one player who was always at risk, Barry, of losing in the first week of Wimbledon is Nadal if he comes up against a player who hits big and makes him feel uncomfortable. So that was evidence of, of how much and how far Nadal has evolved as an attacking player on quicker courts. My, my only surprise in that semi-final against Federer was how deep he stood to return first and second serve.
0: Yes, agreed. because
1: because what it allowed Federer to do, I mean, even if he hit a deep return, what it allowed Federer to do was to just hug the baseline and trust his timing, and and, and Federer was able then to get the first strike in. So that that to me, I think,
0: I mean, you, you know, it sounds like you're in agreement with it. Absolutely, I am. And looking at the the trio in terms of thinking, well, when we get back to Wimbledon next year. Is it the most likely scenario that Federer will still be on twenty, Rafa will be on nineteen having won Roland Garros, and Djokovic could be up to eighteen having defended the US Open title and the Australian? Could be. Could be possible.
1: I mean, yeah, I mean, make you know, a case it's... for
0: anybody, but that you know, has certainly some some measure to it, I think. And, and that would just be remarkable going into 2020. And of course, it's an Olympic year. And who will want to be playing that? Will all three of them be committing to that? Uh, it's, it's going to be fascinating over the next 12 months or so to find out where this, this all lands up. But obviously, we could continue talking about the wonders of uh, what they have all achieved over the last couple of weeks. But in terms of the women, well, we have a new champion. And what a brilliant finish from Simona hallett to to play the match of... Her life? Do you feel to win that title?
1: One of the greatest performances in a Wimbledon final, I think. Three errors, first first time in a in a Wimbledon final against a legend. Uh, I thought Hallett was well. I mean, it was Djokovic-esque, wasn't it? It I was mean, exactly. You know the way she plays, the way she defends, uh, and what we've also seen from Halop is is her ability now to to be able to withstand pace and come back with a little bit more pace. You know, and there were times earlier in the career on quicker courts that you can maybe get through Simona, but she was dialed in right from the word go. And and, and I always felt, you know, throughout the championships, Barry, you know, we worked together and, you know, I was consistent on it. I never had Serena winning Wimbledon this year, like last year, because I think she's half a step slow. And I think she's lacking matches she needs you know serena needs to get back to winning a title in readiness to i feel to win another major which i do think she will but it's two and a half years since she won a title and i think that really showed you know the desperation the the, the will to try and uh, match margaret court 24 majors i i think that weighed on her a little bit too much and maybe that was responsible in in Serena Williams starting poorly. But I think we have to also praise how well Hallett played.
0: I think she should be praised to the hilt. And it was just a a marvellous conclusion to see her perform like that. And then to speak like she did afterwards. A a wonderfully warm-hearted speech that really drew her even more fans and admirers around the world of tennis to, to seeing how she has taken on her new club membership, she's thrilled about that, isn't she? <laughs> yes, I mean, but it's
1: nice, isn't it? And I mean, I think it's what makes Wimbledon special is for someone like Halep, she might have never become a member, but now she wins the title. She, she's a member for life and a very popular winner. And I 100% agree with you, Barry. I mean, a very warm person. I thought she spoke brilliantly. And, and I think for Serena, that will hurt her. But when it hurts great champions, watch out.
0: In terms of the grass and the balls that they use these days and the fact that we have ended up with the singles champions we have who are clearly fantastic from the back of the court obviously not averse to coming forward and doing things at the net but they come out of those corners so well it does make it so much harder these days does it not for the the old school the the aggressive style the serve and volleyer to get through them would you like Wimbledon to make any changes in that regard going forward, or do you think this is where we're going to be now for for the foreseeable?
1: No, I don't think I don't think Wimbledon needs to change the pace. I, I think what needs to happen is I think the younger players need to be a bit braver. Mm-hmm. I think they need to evolve their game. I think they need to they need to to look at the pick, big picture and and say Djokovic and Nadal could be around for five years. Now they might not be, but they could be around for five years, five more years. How are we going to beat these guys? Are we going to beat them from the back of the, back of the court? Well, if the history would suggest, no, mm-hmm. Barry, me because they are incredible tennis players, incredible movers. So you've got to find other ways, and I think a lot of it is that yes, the courts are slower, and yes, the strings have changed. But I think it's got, a lot of the players now, they've got it into their head. We cannot do it. And then the coach or someone will say, yeah, but you need to come forward. You need to volley. And then they'll come to the net and they'll get past. And then, they'll, and then in their own mind, it's confirmation, well, I can't do it. And the great net players of, of any Wimbledon champions, they can get past nine times in a row, but they'll believe they'll win it on the 10th. And it's a lot harder to hit a passing shot at four all in a set than it is in the first point of a set. And I, So I think it's a little shift in the psychology. I still believe that you can play at the net and win majors. I'm not advocating if it's going to be first and second serve 100%. But why, why can't you? If you can do it well, why can't you come forward?
0: But when so much of the tour is played on hard courts and clay courts, does that also hold them back from making that adjustment? Or do you think that if they could get over that kind of barrier in their minds about being more aggressive and that they could use that to greater effect on both of those surfaces?
1: Pat Rafter made semifinals of the French, I believe. McEnroe made the final of the French.
0: Tim Henman made the semis of the French. Yeah, I mean, probably... Like, if, if the, the probably only... less so on clay, Baza, but, but yeah. on hard courts? I mean, are the hard courts generally a bit too slow? What?
1: I think if, if, if I could have my my wish for change of conditions, it would be the mm-hmm. indoor courts. Yes. That, that would be my wish. I, I think, you know, I mean, the indoor courts at times are slower than the outdoor courts because you don't, you don't have the heat to, to bake the court. So someone like Indian Wells, the court's very slow, but the conditions make it incredibly quick because of the heat uh, and with it being in the desert. I mean, the court surface... Indoors it's slow, and you don't get anything from 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 with it being indoors, so that would be my wish I think do you remember the Paris indoors a few years ago, the year that Lodger made final? I do <laughs> I mean it was great you know he served and volleyed to, to to the final um but now now you know they're they're very slow, so I think that would be the area the, the, the stage of the season and I, and I actually think it would make better tennis because that a lot of the players are spent at the end of the year. You know, you watched that match yesterday with Djokovic, five hours. I mean, he plays like that throughout the year. No wonder, you know, that final last year against Zverev, he he didn't really have much left.
0: Talking of time, after, of course, the the very swift Hallett victory against Serena, you then had the marathon men's doubles final, uh, which, as it turned out, was exactly the same duration, four hours, 57, as the duration of yesterday's match between Federer and Djokovic, incredible coincidence, that. But in terms of the, the quality of those five sets and all the drama that went on, I mean, Nicolas Mahou is sporting a few bruises, is he not? <laughs> not least, um, I mean, the one to the eye or just over the eye that sort of set it all off early in, in the early stages. But um, ultimately, for Cabal and Farah to, to win that match, an incredible effort. But your heart goes out to the French for coming off second best like you know, Federer, only just.
1: Yeah, it's a, it's a tough one. Tough, tough break for them, but Cabal and Farrah deserve it. They've been the best pair this year. And I think it's nice eventually to be able to win a major together. And they have stuck as a pair. I mean, in a doubles game, but we, we kind of joke, don't we? And, you know, they switch and they swap around you know, almost every five minutes. And they have been in it together. So I, I, I think you deserve it. Women and Champions, I, I commentated on their match in the semi-finals and, and I thought they played great. You know, they actually, they coped well with the disappointment after losing the second set against Clarsen and Venus. Um, and I, I guess there's something in it because they kept tagging Mahu, and they hit, they hit Clarsen, didn't they? The yeah. beginning of the fifth set. in I mean, it was a huge forehand from Cabal. And, and actually, for a
0: moment, I, I thought Clarsen might have to retire. It's a dangerous sport, isn't it, mm. at times? I mean, particularly when they're going at it, four of them on the court, so fast, so hard. But thankfully, no serious damage ultimately done. And uh, and yet, what a, an amazing performance by the Colombians to, to get through, the emotion. I mean, there's a fantastic photograph. If, if you haven't anybody seen it yet, on the internet of, of the two Colombians, I mean, at different parts of their court on the on the deck, just lying with all the emotion pouring out and the two French consoling each other on the other side. It kind of summed up the moment brilliantly. Uh, For the Colombians, I mean, so proud to have done it, uh, rightly so, because they're the first to have done it for their country. And not only have they done that, but they've reached the top of the rankings as well. And so, too, has Barbora Stritzeva, Barry, who obviously had a run to the semis in the singles, finally made it into a Grand Slam doubles final, along with Shay Su Wei. And uh, I was fortunate enough to be working on that match last evening. You sort of thought, well, it's very much after the Lord Mayor show to mm. follow the men's epic match. And yet those who did come back to watch it were treated to a really energetic performance by those two. And Stritzover has now become the women's doubles individual world number 1 as a result of picking up her first major title. So uh, there were great stories all around.
1: Probably not surprising that Stritzova and Shetsuway won the doubles on grass given their both their styles of play. I mean it, I mean it is it is brilliant isn't it I, I, Oh, And I was commentating on her match against Pliskova and uh, my co-commentator uh, you know I forget who it was because we so many matches but he said it's very much like she's playing table tennis, the way she, you, know, you serve in table tennis and you throw exactly. the ball up and you chop it down. And, and it, it's a breath of fresh air because I could, I could imagine if Shea Wei came from Britain, they'd be changing her technique. They'd be you know, getting the coaching manual out. But she is unique. And I think tennis needs those types of players, as of her in many ways. You know, she's got good feel. Um, we saw that in her match against Conter, the drop shots, the serve and volley. So, so very yeah, popular winners.
0: They really were, and and just backing up what you said about Shay and her remarkable abilities because she plays with the, the racket in both hands off the ground. Mm. You just don't know where she's going to put it next, and so often in the final, Dabrowski and Zhu Fan who who played. So Gustave Zhu was particularly good, uh, perhaps said Dabrowski, finding it all a bit much from Shea. But the times that you just saw the looks on their faces thinking, how on earth did she do that? Where did that come from? They were caught out so often. Was it sometimes those those return, those lob returns, which were pinpoint or in the midst of a rally when you've got all four of them involved? It's going like pinball and suddenly it's as if she's just turned the speed down. And has time to think, oh, I know what, I'm going to nudge it there or flick it there. And mm-hmm. it was just a remarkable individual display. But obviously, in partnership with Stritzva, who, as you say, has got some great craft herself. Can I just uh, quick mention from or quick word from you on on the Brits and where they got to or didn't in this fortnight? Dan
1: Evans' a match was one of the, the matches of the tournament. It was right up there in the top five. I thought it was just a great advert for a i would say second tier players Barry you know they're not the household names but because of because Dan being british got him on court one and it was just a, i mean actually it was very similar to the um the Federer Djokovic final you know one player led other player came back there were breaks uh, and then they also uh, stopped play at the end of the fourth set for for the roof so they came back and played the fifth set. So I think for Danny, he had a wonderful tournament. And Joe Conter should have made final. Now, I don't often like to use the word should, but in that top half, Joe was playing the best tennis. I thought her way she played against Sloane Stephens and the way she played against Kvitova was so, so encouraging. Out on the back of how well she played at the French in making the semi-finals but she missed an opportunity at Roland Garros and she missed an opportunity at Wimbledon losing to Stritzeva. So what do
0: you think she needs to get over that next time?
1: Well I think a couple of factors and we talked about it after the French I I felt her reaction after she lost that the French was surprising when she, she basically everything was positive of course it's a positive run but Sometimes you want to see the emotion and and a little bit more honesty from a player when you lose in a semi-final of a major. Almost you flip it round, say, had a great run, you know, disappointed, that that opportunity, but I'm gonna go again next time. And the next time I'm in that position, hopefully I'll handle it better or I will handle it better. And then they the just just in the quarter final at Wimbledon, what it showed is is that when plan A is working great, she's a top player. But when things start to go wrong for Conta, they go spectacularly wrong. And the greatest players are the ones in difficult moments that are able to find something extra. And I think that's really what Conta needs to, to improve. Now, is it she needs to improve layers of a game? Or is it that she needs to improve her mentality? And in which way round? Personally, for me, I don't know if you agree, Barry, but personally, for me, I think it's a game. If if you have areas of your game that you can call upon when certain other factors aren't working, then I think that gives you a, bit, a little bit more belief. But just not able to trust herself um, in in that semifinal, when, when actually, sorry, in the quarterfinal, when actually, you know, she was kind of a little unlucky to lose the first set. Don't think she really needed to...
0: to, to to feel like it had to change. Okay, Baz, well, we will obviously watch with great interest as to how she and the rest of the Brits go over the next uh, couple of months, leading up to the last Major of the Year in New York at the US Open at the end of August into September. But can I just finish off this pod by uh, asking you, now that we have seen the different versions of a final set tiebreak being incorporated <laughs> by all of the slams or... in France's case at Roland Garros, the decision not to incorporate that yet. Which of the four versions do you prefer? <laughs> Thanks. Um, over <laughs> to you. you first. Wanna, well, let me let me kick in here by saying, yeah. what about the fact that what we had yesterday between Federer and Djokovic ultimately decided? Okay, at twelve games all, but then by just a normal seven-point tiebreak. Should there be an in inverted commas the champions' tiebreak in that one? Should it be the first to ten, as it was? in Australia this year?
1: I don't think so. I think if you're going to go 12-all, I think you have a tie-break. I think if you go, I think what Australia did by 6-all, I think you have a match tie-break. I am not a fan, and never have been a fan, of a final set break at the US Open. I was a fan of long fifth sets, but that changed uh, post-Isna Mahu. When I when I was commentating on a match at Wimbledon and I and I kind of wanted it to end, I, I think it might have been a Karlovic songa match. It was sort of sixteen all or seventeen all, and it, it just I wanted it to finish. And and you should never want a match to finish, you know. A match like that, you should you kind of you should be on the edge of your edge if you see. I I was very positive for Wimbledon when they made the change to twelve all, and having watched that match yesterday. I think they got it
0: right. I do. And okay, I would then just add to that the fact that it wasn't until Federer was two breaks up, wasn't he, in the fourth, that Djokovic actually got a break point against him. Mm. Yeah, and okay, he got one back, he lost the set. But then, as he jokingly said, or half jokingly said, in that post match interview on the court, he was just hoping to get to the tie break. Mm. And in a way that did have a bearing, did it not? Because obviously it had been real struggle for him to, to try and break Federer all match. And so in his mind was, well, I played two good tie breaks. So in a way that, that undoubtedly had an effect because had it been an open set going on until one of them ultimately was broken, there would have been a different dynamic to it. Yeah. But
1: generally breakers always favor one person above the other. So I just having having seen, all four now. I'm a fan of yesterday of the of of the twelve all, and I think you know it's not just the final because obviously the final. What you can't do is have one rule up to the semis and then yes. change it for the final. And and the reason the reason Wimbledon brought it in, well I mean uh, arguably two reasons. <laughs> firstly, firstly that it meant that the semi finals started late late last year. And it was Djokovic and Nadal. But no, seriously, the reason it, hmm. they, they brought it in is because Kevin Anderson had two long fifth set matches last year at Wimbledon, quarterfinals and semifinals. And he probably still would have lost the final anyway. But physically, it meant that we didn't really have a contest. And that ultimately is not what you really want, is it, in a major? No. And, and, I, and also, with some of the players that they have spoken to, they felt that it just became that they were hanging on for their own serve because, because they knew there was no definite ending. It was just, well, I've got to win my service game. So your whole focus is win your service game. And actually, when their opponent's serving, they're not really investing a lot mentally and physically. Where yesterday... It still had every game felt massive, Barry, which is unusual, isn't it? When you get to when you get to sort of a six or seven or eight or nine or ten or, you you know, there were there were break chances. There were breaks. So actually, it was it had me on the edge of the seat. Would it have had would it have been the same way if they didn't have a definite ending at 12 or I doubt it, actually?
0: good points Bazet thank you so much uh, thanks everybody for listening to the tennis takeaway podcast we've been uh, delighted to do uh, this every week uh, since the start of the year we are though going to have a bit of a holiday a bit of a break so we will return with the podcast from the two berries on the 5th of august and we hope you can join us for that until then bye bye <music>